You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Open up to Matthew chapter 6, and Jen's going to come up and continue in our series in the book of Matthew. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. This is what the Holy Scripture says. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it guides us, how it helps us, how it orients us. Pray that that would happen right now, that you give us ears to hear, that as a reflection of our love for you, we would listen. Pray that our hearts would be settled on the fact that you're not out to get us, but you love us, and so you've given us your word as a gift. May we receive it that way this morning, right now, by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's a lot to unpack here, okay? Um, the Lord's Prayer is deep. And there, we could do 10 weeks on this, but we won't do that. We're going to do one sermon today on it. So we're just going to do be- the best we can with the time we've been given. Let's review where we've been. In the last two weeks, we've talked about how hypocrites pray. How is that? What are their motives? What are they doing? What do they desire? And then Jesus has taught us, well, let's be in contrast to the hypocrites, and I want you to pray like this. What are your motives? Why are you praying? What should we be thinking about when we're praying? And today, we get the opportunity to dive into a prayer that probably most people, believers or unbelievers, have heard something of. It would kind of ring a bell, right? What this is, essentially, is Jesus' prescription for prayer. Jesus' prescription for prayer. If you want to know how to do it, there's lots of examples in the Bible, but this is kind of top of the list. How do I pray? Well, let's jump to Matthew chapter 6. Right off the bat, let me encourage you with this, because I know a lot of you in this room might feel intimidated by prayer. Or you might feel like, I don't know what to say. Or, like, how do I do this? Like, I just feel like a bad prayer, right? My, my goal for, for us this morning is just to simply show you this. If you feel that way, if you feel that way, there's help. Matthew chapter 6 is our help. The Lord's Prayer is our help. Prayer doesn't have to be some mysterious, esoteric, amorphous kind of thing where it's like, I just don't know how to do this. I can't figure it out. We can just open the chapter 6 and have Jesus teach us. We can be his prayer apprentices, Okay? So let's just dive in and and pick this apart verse by verse. Verse 9 says this, pray then like this. Really simple. 
real direct from Jesus. Not hard to figure out. If you want to pray as Jesus wants you to pray, this is what we do. Okay? This is what we do. Pray then like this, Jesus says. I want you to start this way. Start like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what does it mean? This is the question I want to answer. What does it mean to hallow God's name? To hallow God's name. So first we have to understand what the Bible means when it talks about the name of God. The name of God. In the Bible, the name of God is just kind of code language for who God is. His person, his character, his essence. It's just a, a, a linguistic representation of the character and the glory of God himself as he exists. Okay? So Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 26, 8 says this. Your name and your renown are the desire of our heart. Did you hear that? Your name and your renown are the desire of your heart. Now, does that mean that I just want to say Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh over and over again? Like the word Yahweh is my desire? Like just the, the simple word coming out of my mouth? That's not what it means. The name of God means God himself. Who he is. All that he is. His character. So your name and your renown are the desire of our heart just means, God, we desire you. We desire you. So what does this mean? Je Jesus is just saying, when you start praying, I want you to start with a Godward focus. I want you to start with a Godward focus. Now this seems obvious, right? But how often when we pray, we just kind of think of God as a cosmic Santa Claus that just exists to give us the things that we want. If we've been nice and not naughty, we'll just get what we want and God will listen to us. And that's the only thing we start with is, man, God, if you could hook me up with this, we'd be all good. Like, unfortunately, that's how I pray sometimes. That's my default setting. Now, for sure, God is going to provide for you. And we're going to get to that in a second in the Lord's Prayer. But notice... Notice this. This is very simple, but very clear, very helpful. He doesn't start with us. Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't start with yourself. When we start in prayer, Jesus says, start with God and his goodness and his glory. This is the right orientation when it comes to praying. Okay, so we start with God's character in view. The name of the Lord and the, the, the instruction from Jesus is that we would seek to hallow his name. Hallow his person, his character, his essence. So what does it mean to hallow something? That's not a word we use very often, right? What it means is this. Hallowed means known, acknowledged, and honored as holy. Another way to say it would be known, acknowledged, honored, and upheld with the utmost specialness, if you can handle that term. This is as special as it gets, as unique as it gets. God, you are hallowed, meaning your 
holiness is acknowledged and honored and, 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 and cherished as unique. Our Father who is in heaven, may you be seen as holy by everyone on this planet. May you be seen as worthy, beautiful, powerful, and pure. The psalmist says it like this. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name, who you are, your person, may we give glory. So what's the action point for us as prayer apprentices? We learn that the best way to pray, according to Jesus, is not to start with us and our needs, but the best place to start is with God and his glory or God and his goodness. That all the world, every person on the planet would taste and see that God, that you are great, that your holiness is beautiful. Do you feel the missional impulse here when we pray? Like it doesn't start about, it doesn't start with us. It starts with God and that the whole world would know him and cherish him. Like, here's the deal. From beginning to end of the Bible, God desires to be known. He tells Pharaoh in the Old Testament, I raised you up, and I'm going to use you. Why? So that my name will be known. People are going to talk about me when they see the glorious salvation of my people. When they see the miracles, they're going to know that there's a God in Israel. That's the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along and he does the most amazing salvation work of the cross and the empty tomb. And he says, through this and you telling this, you're going to make me known to the whole world. That's just what resonates here in this prayer. That he would be known. That's what we want to pray for. God, would you make yourself known and cherished for, for who you are? This is a true Godward focus in our praying. That's what Jesus calls us to. So when you pray, start with the Lord and that he would be known. Ask him for that. He loves to answer prayers according to his will. It's a promise. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given unto you. John 15, 7. So you want to remain in him in prayer? Pray this way. Because this is how he said that we should pray. Okay? That's the first starting point. What's up with, uh, what do we have for second here? Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we still haven't started talking about us yet. We start by talking about God and then we start praying for his kingdom. And what? That his kingdom would come. That his kingdom would come. Now, we have to dive into a little bit of technical Bible understanding here for us to understand this word kingdom. This word kingdom is a broad and rich term in the Bible. So, Jesus says that we are to ask God to bring his kingdom. Now, this gets a little bit tricky because Jesus, when he came to the earth... He already said that his kingdom has come. When he comes, there's the kingdom. Where the king is and where he's acknowledged and rules and reigns in our hearts, there the kingdom is. Look at what he says here in Luke chapter 11, just as an example. Jesus says this, If I drive out demons by the finger of God, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So see how Jesus is saying, the kingdom is where I am? I am establishing and demonstrating that I rule and reign. Take note, the demons bow to my word. They are forced to acknowledge my kingdom and my kingship. So what he's saying is, where I am right now, 2,000 years ago, with these disciples looking on as I cast out demons, the kingdom is here because I'm here, right? That's true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. Where Jesus is acknowledged as Lord in your hearts, the kingdom of God is among you, right? The kingdom of God is among us in this church as we collectively worship Jesus and say, Jesus, you are Lord, and we want to be members of your kingdom. We acknowledge your kingdom, and we want to be a part of it. That's a present reality right now. Jesus rules in the world through his word and his spirit in his people as they are on mission through the local church. Okay? You with me? Now, here's the question. If the kingdom of Jesus is a present reality right now in our lives, experienced right now, why would in the Lord's prayer, why would he ask for us to ask for it? You see that? If we already have it, why would we need to ask for it? That his kingdom would come. And what this boils down to is another really, really rich biblical concept that everyone here has to understand in order to under your, understand your Bible. And the, the term that theologians have used to understand this is called the now and the not yet. Another way to say it is the already and the not yet. If you don't get this, the Bible won't make any sense to you. But if you get it, it will make a lot of sense to you. So I want everyone in the room to get this, okay? Here's the point. There are things that are theologically, biblically true right now that will one day be even more true, even more realized, even more profound, even more fulfilled. So here's kind of a a loose analogy that doesn't quite get at it, but I think it will help you. So I love my wife right now, okay? I love her as far as... As deep as I possibly can. That's a true reality. Now, if God were to give us 50 years of marriage, let's say, or maybe 60 years of marriage together, then I know that I will love her even more, even more deeply, even more profoundly. The experience of it will be that much more rich. It's present now, but it's not yet what it one day will be. You with me? So it's now, but it's not yet. Okay? So, let me give you a biblical example. Uh, The Bible says that right now, for all those who have trusted Jesus Christ, they are, are, not past tense, not future tense, present tense. They are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. That's true right now. But we also know that I'm not yet what I one day will be. I still sin. I still have a body that that has the sign of sin in that I'm going to physically die someday. 
I get sick, right? I'm not what I one day will be when I'm resurrected on the last day and given a brand new resurrected body that will live forever. That's what the Bible teaches, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, so it's true now that I am a new creation in Christ, but one day I will even be a more new creation in Christ. You with me? Okay, the Bible just assumes both. That there's things that are true now that will be one day more and more fulfilled. And it's the same with the kingdom. It's the same with the kingdom. The kingdom of God is among us by the Holy Spirit living in those who call Jesus Lord. This is why we want to see the kingdom increase through making disciples, planting churches. So the kingdom of God can be seen right now and experienced right now and expanded. This isn't a geopolitical reality, but a spiritual reality where Jesus rules and reigns in the church through his word and his spirit. So we pray this, Lord, would this happen right now? Let your kingdom come right now and may it start with me. And we pray for the future reality. That the kingdom would come. That Jesus, that you would return and make all things right. And all the wickedness that we see in our world would be done away with. And and, and your people would be gathered to you to, to live with you in joy and perfect harmony. Every tear wiped away, all suffering and pain just demolished. And we live forever with resurrected bodies with King Jesus. We pray for that too. So this language of kingdom is now and it's not yet. And I think Jesus asked us to pray for both. God, would you use me, start with me right now to make your kingdom known right now in my workplace, in my neighborhood, among my family, all my friends that don't know the Lord? Would, would the kingdom expand to them? But also, Lord, would you come quickly? Would you come quickly? We long for you in greater measure. We long to see you with eyes that can really see. The, the scourge of sin is done away with. All things made right. No resistance to your kingdom. That's how Jesus wants us to pray. Does that make sense? Let your kingdom come and start with me. And let your final kingdom come and may it come quickly. Okay? So let's review. How does Jesus want us to pray? Number one, he wants us to pray with a Godward focus. Start with him and his glory that he may be known. And number two, he wants us to pray a kingdom focused prayer. Do, do we pray that way? Do we pray that way? Let's just ask ourselves that question. Do we pray that way? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So once we, we start our prayer with the right orientation, God word, kingdom word, Now we can have the right orientation to start praying for some of our basic needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So notice a couple things about this request. This request implies that God values our bodies. And so we should value our bodies that God has made and God has given to us as a gift It's okay for you to desire for your body to be taken care of. We should desire to take care of this gift of a human body that we've been given. That's so fearfully and wonderfully made, right? So we need food to exist. So your physical appetites are not bad. 
Now, of course, they can be all out of whack and abused, whether it's food, sex, money, or whatever. Technology. But Jesus teaches here that our bodies are good and they should be cared for. Number two, notice the word here, give us this day our daily bread. Notice that he says, not give us this day our weekly or monthly bread. You notice that? I think this word daily is important as an intentional. Like Jesus wants us to have a prayerful orientation daily that we need him to provide. Meaning, I don't provide for myself. I am not self-sufficient. In the way that I pray every day, I'm reminded and I'm reminding myself that I am not self-sufficient. That God is my provider. I am not my provider. Jesus desires our hearts to seek this of him on a daily, habitual basis. Now, here's a question. Should I feel guilty if I've got a week's worth of bread in the pantry? Well, probably not. Maybe. I mean, maybe you should ask yourself that. But probably not. We live in a different context, right? But the greater issue is this. that is not contextual. Where in your life are you having to trust God on a daily basis? Maybe it's not bread. But what is it? Is your life structured so that you're forced to actually need God for something? Or do we just live in a comfort zone? All my needs met. I got it. I got a good job. Pride from my own needs. I'm good. Or do we live on this edge of faith where we just know that if God doesn't show up in my life based on what I know he's called me to, if, if he doesn't show up, I'm sunk. I think that's what God calls us people to. Like, you'll never find somebody called in the Bible where they've been given a mission from God. And they turn to the Lord and they say, man, that sounds good. I got this. Thanks, Lord. I don't need you anymore. Because whatever you told me to do, man, that's totally within my power. Never happens in the Bible, ever. Every single person that God calls in the Bible feels grossly in over their head. And I think that's the way God wants it. Because then we know that he is the giver. And the giver gets the glory. And we get the joy of seeing God God's power manifests through our lives. But if you just hang out in your comfort zone, all my needs met, I'm good. Like, what do you need to pray for? What do you need to ask God for? Then you're robbing yourself of the experience of seeing God move in your life. Like, some of you are feeling like, man, I don't ever see God move in my life. Well, maybe it's because you're not listening to what he's called you to. Like, making disciples is not easy. Making disciples demands that God show up. Can you raise the spiritually dead? No, you can't. So you got something to pray about. Everyone in this room is in over their head in terms of the mission that God has given us. You feel that? So you might not need bread because your pantry is full, but you sure do need God on a daily basis to help you make disciples. You feel that? So the question is, Jesus here is saying, you need to cry out to me daily. I want you to see daily that I'm your provider, that you don't provide for yourself. So where is that in your life? 
And if you can't think of anything, maybe, just maybe, I'm just asking the question, maybe you're living a life that's just committed to the comfort zone and not the mission of God. Just ask the question. Just ask the question. It's good for you to feel in over your head. I think God wants that from you. Because then you're going to turn to him. Then you're going to ask him. And again, when you ask him, the giver gets the glory. You get the joy of his presence and his power through your life. Don't be afraid. Some of you, man, you feel like God has given you some crazy desire, but you're just holding back out of fear. Let me just tell you, life is too short to live your life ruled by fear. Your life is a mist. God promises here to provide for you. Life's too short to live by fear. Let's just go for it. You got zero to lose. So go for it. He promises to provide. He's your father. He'll provide. Go for it. The, The comfort zone is boring. It will make you feel like you're dead on your feet. Walking with God in obedience to what he's called you to, that's life. That's life. That's joy. All right? Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So he's called us to pray for daily physical provision. And now he calls us to pray for daily spiritual provision. Why would I say that? What's my number one need? What's my number one problem? See, a lot of us think our number one problem is the fact that my marriage has a lot of tension. Or that, man, I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job at the end of the month. Those are things that are very important. We don't want to diminish that. But biblically speaking, my number one problem is my sin problem. My number one problem is I have a sin debt. There is a cosmic tension between the holiness of God and my sin. The number one problem is my need for forgiveness. That's what Jesus addresses here. This is a prayer of humility. This is a prayer of honesty. He's saying, when you're, when, you're, when you're honest in prayer, that pleases me. What's honesty? The honesty is, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. There, I'm going to not sweep it under the rug. I'm going to acknowledge that I have a sin problem and I need forgiveness. That's how Jesus wants you to pray. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm willing to be honest. Like, God, you know I have a sin debt. I bring it to you. Would you forgive me? And then the truth of the gospel comes crashing in the cross where he died for your sins, Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That comes to mind and you rejoice because the tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. The penalty of sin has been defeated. And you rejoice knowing that God now hears you as your father. You're not a slave. You're not an object of wrath. You're a child. And once we know that's true, that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he forgiven us, so far as he removed our sins from us, once we know that's true, then the second half of the verse just comes alive. How could I not forgive those who have sinned against me? If I know what's been done for me, how could I not? How could I not? How could I hold off on forgiveness? You can't. It's impossible. If you know how much you've been forgiven, then you will be a forgiven person. That's the implication of verse 12. And then finally, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is just asking the Lord to, to, to help us. We live in a world where there's evil everywhere. Just turn on the news. Just look at the CNN.com and you'll see it. But we obviously know that we're not called to remove ourselves from the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. So here's the deal. As we engage with those that don't know the Lord, and sometimes their lives exhibit maybe an evil that Jesus is talking about here, a sinfulness that Jesus is talking about here, we stay with them as Jesus stayed with them. Whether it's Nicodemus, prideful, woman at the well, sexual sin, whatever it is. We stay in there with them, but we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, help me not be influenced in a way that would detract from who you are and my witness. Lord, would you deliver me as I'm engaging your people, as I'm engaging people that don't know you, deliver me from evil. I want to be in the world, but not of it. So to sum up, I want to remind you again, if you're struggling in prayer like we all do, if we're honest, we all do, I mean, just memorize. All you got to remember is I'm going to just turn to Matthew chapter 6. This is going to be my outline. This is how Jesus said we are to pray. So why don't we just do it, right? Why not? Super simple. The Lord delights in this. He delights in this. We start with a Godward focus, him and his glory, may be cherished in all the world. We move on to the kingdom. May, may the kingdom start with me and expand through me, expand through us in the local church. And may God's final kingdom come, Lord, come quickly. We, we pray for physical provision. We pray for that which we need on a daily basis because we're living on that edge of faith where if he doesn't show up, we're sunk. That's where, that's where we're called to live. Spiritual provision, Lord, I need forgiveness, and I thank you for the truth of the forgiveness that you say you've given me. And Lord, may evil be far from me. As we engage the world to see your kingdom come, may evil be far from my heart. Help me figure that out, Lord. That's it. That's simple. And this is a prayer that pleases the Lord. This is how we pray. So I say we go for it. Let's do it right now. Lord, we acknowledge that you are good and beautiful and holy and the most unique and special person in all the universe. Lord, we pray that you would be known. We pray that you would be known through this church. We pray that you would be known through our lives. We pray that you would be known in North Africa and Ecuador and Madison, and through this church, through Redeemer City Church, through Eastside Church through every church in Madison that loves you and loves your people and loves your word and loves your mission. Lord, we need you to show up. If we don't have food, we will die. If we don't have your help, we can't do anything about this mission to make disciples that you've called us to. Lord, would you help us? Father, we thank you for the fact that you forgive us. We thank you for the fact that you've risen from the dead, defeating sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. And that we can have hope now. 
And Lord, would you banish evil from our hearts? Would you just change our spiritual taste buds so that what you say just tastes good and we desire it and we desire the joy of obedience and, and what the flesh says, the world says, would just taste gross. Would you do a transplant of our taste buds or banish evil from our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.